What's going on, everyone? I'm your host, JT. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Wanted to come on here and give my thoughts and reactions to the Sunday wildcard matchups. Let's start off talking about the Dolphins-Bills game. I don't think too many people expected the Miami Dolphins to give the Buffalo Bills the kind of game that they gave them on Sunday. They were a double-digit underdog going into this matchup. And with Skylar Thompson at quarterback, it was really hard seeing the Dolphins scoring more than 17 points in this game. However, though, most of us pretty much knew that if the Dolphins were going to have a shot at winning this game, their defense was going to have to show up and they were going to have to show up and make some big plays. And they did that in this ball game. They forced three turnovers on Josh Allen. They also got to him seven times. This defense was on a different level. And if Tua would have played in this game, Miami would have won. You know, there were a lot of people after this game who said that Mike McDaniel, once again, outcoached the Buffalo Bills and Sean McDermott. And I probably would agree with that. Finding a way to still have a shot at winning this game with your third string quarterback banged up on offense is a testament to the job that Mike McDaniels did at preparing this team for this ball game. The Buffalo Bills had one of the best defenses in the NFL all season long. Their defense made a lot of plays in this game, but the Dolphins defense was the biggest factor and why this game was so close. Miami's defense essentially helped them score 17 points in this game. And when you look at the Buffalo Bills, yes, we know that this is one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And when you look at them, they're pretty much a lot of people's pick to make it out of the AFC. But the big Achilles heel with Buffalo is the recklessness of Josh Allen. And Colin Coward has been alluding to this all season, and I've disagreed with it up until this game when he said the Buffalo Bills were too Josh Allen dependent. And I was listening to Sean Payton a couple of weeks ago when he was on the herd, and he said something when it came to being a quarterback-dependent team, you get quarterback-dependent results, which also times means that you get quarterback-dependent mistakes. So therefore, when Josh Allen is being reckless with the football, the Buffalo Bills are at a major disadvantage. The only reason the Bills are able to win these games in spite of all of Josh Allen's turnovers is because of how damn talented not only he is, but how talented this team is as a whole. This team had several turnovers, played one of their worst games as a team all season, and yet they were still able to walk away with the victory. But will they be able to have several turnovers against a better football team in the postseason? Could they have several turnovers in the AFC Conference Championship game and still win? Can they have numerous turnovers in the divisional round next week and still win? against a better football team. I doubt it. They were able to escape against Miami because Miami wasn't as good as the Buffalo Bills. Yes, they were able to keep the game close. Coaching was a testament to that. 
the defense played well, and the offense was able to do enough to, you know, keep this game closed. But against a better football team that is just as talented as the Buffalo Bills, three turnovers, several sacks, they most likely lose. And the Buffalo Bills at one point were kind of my pick along with the Bengals to make it out of the AFC. But the more that I watch the Buffalo Bills play, the less I trust them. I really don't know how much confidence you can have in a team that's quarterback is too careless with the football when turnovers are really important, especially in the playoffs. You know what they say. The key to winning football games is not only just outscoring your opponent, but also taking care of the football. Ball security is key in games like this. In the playoffs, you have the turnover at the wrong time like the Baltimore Ravens did against the Cincinnati Bengals. You lose all your momentum, and essentially, it could cost you the game. So for the Buffalo Bills, I look at them, and yeah, they won this game. But I just, I'm, I'm just not impressed with how the Bills have looked of late. Josh Allen, the dude plays better behind than he does with the lead. I don't really understand it. When he has a lead, he's super reckless, super careless. But when he's playing from behind, the dude is outstanding. The Miami Dolphins offense they didn't really do much. They had 42 total yards on the ground along with 2.1 yards per carry. Scarlett Thompson, 18 of 45, 220 passing yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. And yet they only lost this game by three points. And the Dolphins came into this game believing that they had a legitimate chance to win this game despite the issues that they had at quarterback going into this matchup. Mike McDaniels was pretty confident. He alluded to that. After the game and during the game, I believe he said, you know, we feel we can win this. It isn't coach speak. We actually believed it. And you can see it on the field in this game. The Buffalo Bills were really lucky that they were playing Skylar Thompson and not to a hell. Even if Teddy Bridgewater could have played in this game, if he was healthy and he was able to go and he could throw the football effectively, I believe the Dolphins could have beaten the Bills in this game. Josh Allen's recklessness nearly cost Buffalo in the first round. They were, they were fortunate enough that they were able to survive. But I promise you, if they have another performance like this in the next rounds to come, I don't think they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. At the end of the day, yes, you can overcome turnovers if you are a talented team. But when you face a team that's just as talented as you, turnovers are going to cost you. Against Cincinnati, a team that doesn't turn the football over. Joe Burrow is the best fourth quarter quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I really question Josh Allen's ability to take care of the football. Ball security is really critical when you're in the playoffs. And Josh Allen doesn't do a good job of it. I don't know if it's just him trying to do too much, trying to be Superman or whatever it is, but there's no reason for Josh Allen to be as careless as what he has been this season, especially when he's had leads. If you go and you look at the stat splits for Josh Allen, he's a better quarterback playing from behind than he is when he's playing with a lead. 
It doesn't make no sense. When you have a quarterback that's this talented as Josh Allen, he shouldn't be this reckless with the football when you're ahead. But that also goes to a problem that the Dolphins have, their over-reliance on Josh Allen in the run game. I promise you that Devin Singletary, James Cook are not bad. Okay, the Buffalo Bills offensive line is not bad. They can run the football if they put in the effort. They just need to commit to the run game more. Can Buffalo be more committed to running the football with their running backs than they are running the football with Josh Allen? It doesn't make a lot of sense. You kind of think you would be more committed running the football with your running backs since that's their job to run the football versus being committed to running the football with your star quarterback. We see how the over-reliance on quarterbacks in the run game ends up um, lowering their playing years. You saw what happened to Cam Newton in Carolina, and I think the similar thing could eventually happen with Josh Allen in Buffalo if they're not careful. Buffalo needs to learn how to play more complimentary style football. I find it funny that, you know, when the Buffalo Bills, after Josh Allen had those turnovers, when they got back to running the football, that's where their offense had the most success, in my opinion. Now, Josh Allen was still carving up the Dolphins' defense when he wasn't turning the football over. The dude started the game out on fire. But after the first quarter, I don't know what the hell was going on. The Buffalo Bills, huh. This is a really frustrating team because they have the talent to win the Super Bowl, but you just don't know if they can take care of the football and the big moments to win the big games. Josh Allen, he has a reckless turnover in the red zone in the AFC or the divisional round against a better football team than the Miami Dolphins with a better quarterback. I guarantee you the Buffalo Bills probably end up losing can't have as many turnovers as what the Buffalo Bills had in this game and still win. And they were lucky enough that they were facing a third-string quarterback. A better quarterback in this game probably gives the Dolphins the win. The New York Giants beat the Minnesota Vikings 31-24. I had the Minnesota Vikings winning this game. I wasn't surprised that the Giants won. I was surprised at the fact that the Giants coaching staff outcoached the Minnesota Vikings the way that they did. I was expecting a little bit more from Kevin O'Connell and this staff. I mean, I wasn't expecting just a complete all-around turnaround. At the end of the day, when you get to the playoffs, you are what you are at this point. So if your defense has been trash all year... Nine times out of ten, you get to the playoffs, your defense is still going to be all that trash. However, Kevin O'Connell said during the week that they were going to do some different things. And I was kind of hoping that those different things would work. But it turns out those different things didn't do deadly squat. And if anything, this defense looked as bad as what they've looked all year. I mean... Patrick Peterson, I understand he's up there in age, but damn, fam, you getting cooked by Isaiah Hodgins again? Isaiah Hodgins, it's not like this dude is one of the best receivers in the game. It's not like we know who this guy is. This guy kind of has came out of nowhere over the last couple of weeks. 
And I found out about him in the Giants last game when he was cooking up Patrick Peterson. So to see Patrick Peterson getting cooked again was really disappointing. Because at this point, you look at Minnesota and you're like, damn, your best cornerback can't guard nobody. You can't really get off the field. The New York Giants only punted two times in this game. Two times. Like, the Minnesota Vikings defense was as bad as advertised. You couldn't get off the field on third down. Your cornerbacks were getting cooked all game. And we have to give a lot of credit to Daniel Jones, okay? Daniel Jones deserves to get paid after the season ends. When you have this kind of performance and the playoff game of this magnitude, it's not a fluke. You're a good quarterback. Daniel Jones, it's time to start giving the man his flowers. He's legit. He may not be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Hell, he may not ever become one of the best QBs in the league. But one thing that Daniel Jones has done all season long has show up and been consistent for the New York Giants all season long. 24-35 for 301 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 17 carries for 78 rushing yards. Like Daniel Jones on the low outside of Saquon Barkley was the MVP of this game for the New York Giants. As a matter of fact, I probably, let me rephrase that. He was the MVP of this game. Saquon Barkley had a great performance, but the main star player who won the game for the Giants was Daniel Jones. I mean, the dude came out and flat out balled. Meanwhile, you look at Kirk Cousins, on the other hand, he had an okay game. But once again, Kirk Cousins' um, unwillingness to push the football downfield cost the Vikings this game. It's a fourth and long. Why the hell are you throwing a check down to the running back? Well, to the tight end. That made no sense. No sense. And that isn't one of the first instances that we've seen Kirk Cousins doing that. Kirk Cousins has been a check down machine all year long. If the dude were to wait a couple of more seconds, he would have guys open downfield. Kirk Cousins, it's time for the Minnesota Vikings to start looking for his replacement. Now, I'm not saying that they need the trade up and draft somebody in the draft or they need to go out and get Derek Carr. I'm just saying that they need to start looking at what their future is going to be at quarterback post Kirk Cousins right now. Because eventually Kirk Cousins contract is going to be up. You're going to have to come to a decision with him. Do you give him a new deal? Do you let him walk away? Bring in somebody else at quarterback for Minnesota, you have a chance at being able to get Hendon Hooker in the NFL draft coming up. He's a first-round caliber quarterback, but he's dealing with an ACL injury. So he's most likely going to fall into round two or three. If you're Minnesota, if you can find a way to grab him, I think you could be set at quarterback for the foreseeable future. He doesn't have to play right away. You can still start Kirk Cousins for one more season. And then after this season is up, you can end up moving on from Kirk, 
and starting Hendon Hooker or whoever else. I just think that it's time for the Minnesota Vikings to start searching for their future at quarterback after Kirk Cousins. You look at Wink Martindale, the job that he did in this game against Kevin O'Connell's offense was phenomenal, and it goes right back to what I was saying earlier about how the New York Giants just coach circles around the Minnesota Vikings. Wink Martindale's defense got shredded by Justin Jefferson in their first matchup. They held him to seven receptions for 47 receiving yards in this game. I mean, they didn't let Justin Jefferson do too much of anything. They were not going to allow Justin Jefferson to kill them like how they did in the last game. TJ Hawkinson, he balled out, but if you're Brian Dable, Wheat Martindale, you can live with that. You can live with TJ Hawkinson carving you up. As long as Justin Jefferson doesn't eat you up, you're good. Saquon Barkley... Made some big plays for the New York Giants, not just on the ground, but also in the passing game as well. He had a touchdown in the end zone where he ended up getting met by a defensive tackle in the backfield and literally dragged the dude a couple of yards for the score. I was like, damn. Okay, I see what they be saying about Saquon Barkley when it comes to the power that he has. And not just that. But there were a lot of big plays that Saquon Barkley made, catching the ball out of the backfield. And the Minnesota Vikings, you look at their linebackers, I was just like, bro, y'all really this slow? Eric Kendricks, there were several times when I felt like Eric Kendricks could have made the play on Saquon Barkley. But it seemed like the dude was just too slow. Oh, it, it just looked like a complete mismatch out there when you compare the Minnesota Vikings coaching staff to the New York Giants coaching staff. And yes, the Minnesota Vikings were the more talented team going into this game by landslide. You look at the defenses, okay, that's some debate there. But offensively, Minnesota was way better than the New York Giants. You want to know how a team who ends up being an underdog ends up winning? You want to know how a team who despite not being the most talented, ends up pulling off the upset on the road, being better coached, being better situationally, and being able to execute in the biggest moments. The Minnesota Vikings, in the biggest moments of this game, they didn't do anything. They couldn't keep drives alive on third down. I mean, Wink Martindale, you have to give him a lot of credit for the game plan he came up with for the New York Giants. And the New York Giants, you can see why there were a good amount of people who were high on them and picked them to win this game. This wasn't a upset in too many people's eyes because most people expected the Giants to win this game. They were better situationally. This is a defense that all season long, yeah, they may not be the most talented. Their defensive line is amongst the best in the NFL, but outside of that, you don't really have too much to work with. You have a couple of guys in your secondary, but not too much. But despite not being the most talented, this team is phenomenal at playing situational football. They can get you off the field on third down, and they can stop you in the red zone. Something that Minnesota was unable to do, and it was a large reason why they lost this game. 
They couldn't get the New York Giants off the field on third down. It seemed like the New York Giants could do no wrong when they got in the third down situations. Daniel Jones was just too much of a beast for this Minnesota Vikings defense to handle. Imagine, imagine saying that. Imagine me telling you that after this game, I would say that the Giants won this game because the Vikings defense couldn't slow down Daniel Jones. Imagine me telling you that before this game started that Daniel Jones was going to be the star player for the Giants in this win. Giants 31, Minnesota Vikings 24. The New York Giants advance to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. You have to give a lot of credit to Brian Dable, the job he's done. He once again has proven to everybody why he deserves to win NFL Coach of the Year honors. The last game that I want to talk about Baltimore Ravens going on the road to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. I have a lot of things to say about this game. The Ravens could have won this game. And I'm not saying that just to say it. You watch this game, the Ravens had every opportunity to win this game. Everything that the Ravens needed to do to win this game went their way. They were able to get the rain game going. They outgained the Bengals on the ground, 155 rushing yards to 51. Tyler Huntley played well. It's just that what hurt Baltimore was the two turnovers. You had the interception by Tyler Huntley early, but he was able to bounce back from that. But the biggest one that he had was pretty much the dagger in this game for the Ravens. And that was that fumble that he had on the goal line when he decided to stretch the ball out. He got knocked out by a Bengals defender. Sam Hubbard takes it 98 yards. The Bengals take the lead. And that pretty much is ball game. You listen to any Ravens player, any Ravens coaches, after their after this loss in their post-game press conference, they all say the same thing. They felt like they were the better team. And they all felt like they could have won. And even a couple of players felt like they could have won this game if they had Lamar. This was a physical game, okay? There were a lot of guys getting banged up. The Bengals lost another offensive lineman, so now they're down three starters. They lost their starting offensive tackle, Jonah Williams. So now it's like you paid all that money in free agency to revamp and improve the offensive line just to kind of be back at the same point you were around the same time last season with the offensive line being the concern going into the playoffs or for the remainder of the Bengals' playoff run. And now you're trying to wonder if the Bengals can still make it to the Super Bowl this year the same way they made it last year, not having great play from the offensive line, but being able to generate a lot of big plays in the passing game, rather that be pushing the football vertically, or getting big plays after the catch. Was that third and goal quarterback sneak a bad play call or just poor execution? I think it's a mixture of both. A lot of people want to put the blame on the play calling. You heard the J.K. Dobbins post-game press conference, or you heard his statements after the game, calling out the play calling. He didn't really think it was a good decision to 
put the ball in Tyler Huntley's hands in that situation. And, you know, I can understand that. But at the same time, I've yet to see anybody stop a quarterback sneak this year with teammates pushing the quarterback forward. I mean, it was at the two, one yard line, whatever. If Tyler Huntley doesn't reach that football out, I think he probably scores. And even if he doesn't score, it's third and goal. So you still have another opportunity on fourth and goal to punch the football in. I don't really think that play call was as bad as what a lot of people are trying to make it out to be. I just think it was poor execution on Tyler Huntley's part. There is no reason for you to stretch the ball out. And you can say, well, JT, we should we should have never put him in that situation in the first place. I mean, says who? Who says it was wrong to put Tyler Huntley in that spot? People keep saying he was too small. Bruh, it's a damn quarterback sneak. You don't need to be Derrick Henry to get a quarterback sneak. All you need to do is find you a small little hole, fall down in it, wiggle your way through, and score the damn touchdown. You don't need to be running and mauling guys over. He didn't have to go over the top. All you had to do was get small and find a way to wiggle your way through the hole. For any of you guys who played any level of football and played running back, what did your running back coach always used to tell you? Get small. You get what I'm saying? It's like you don't have to run through everybody every single time to score or to get, you know, a third and one or a fourth and inches. Sometimes it's just all about finding the small hole and wiggling your way through. You don't got to power through everybody. It's a lot of people trying to say, well, JT, Tyler Huntley was too small. He wouldn't have been able to get through the defensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals. Bro, you had two teammates pushing him from the back. I'm pretty sure if he doesn't stretch that football out, he keeps powering his way through or he keeps his feet moving. He gets down. He gets low with the assistance of his teammate plus him. um, continuing to keep his legs pushing and moving I think he probably would have got in that pretty much was the biggest play that won this game for the Cincinnati Bengals and for the Cincinnati Bengals offensively you know when you first watched this game it looked like Cincinnati was going to run away with this game But after the Ravens got that forced fumble with the Kyle Hamilton hit on Hayden Hurst and they got the ball back, you realize that this probably was going to be a close game. Cincinnati, their offensive line, had a really hard time slowing down the pass rush of the Baltimore Ravens. And even though they were still able to find a way to win this game, they won this game because of their defense. This offense at times has struggled against better defenses in the NFL they didn't really have a great performance against the New England Patriots their offense struggled against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense if it wasn't for the five gifts that Tom Brady and company gave them they probably would have had a way more difficult time moving the ball in that game the Ravens defense really got after it they got four sacks on Joe Burrow That kept them in the game. Like, the defense played a fantastic game. And the Ravens overall played a really great game. You got to remember, this team was, what, a nine-point underdog heading into this matchup? So there weren't too many high expectations for them being able to keep this game close. Hell, I thought the Bengals were going to cover 
Not because I didn't believe in the Ravens' defense, but I didn't believe in the Ravens' offense. But you know what they say? Sometimes the best offense can be a great defense. And in a game like this, the Ravens were going to need their defense to show up. And their defense came and they made the plays necessary that gave them a shot at winning this game in the end. But for the Ravens, with the kind of style of football they play, turnovers are big especially when you have them in the red zone. And the red zone offense has been a big problem for the Ravens all season long. They have one of the worst red zone offenses in the NFL. I believe coming into this game, they had the 30th worst red zone offense in the NFL during the regular season. And that showed up once again in this game. Their inability to score in the red zone, not being able to score a seven, that hurt them. And when you get into the playoffs, especially in games like this, the teams that are able to go the furthest are the teams that are able to take care of the football and the teams that are able to score in the red zone. Most playoff games are close, so therefore, the team that has more red zone success, I think, wins more times than not because touchdowns are always worth more than field goals. And when you play the kind of style of football that the Ravens play, smash mouth football where they want to chew clock, you got to be able to score touchdowns. Three points isn't good enough. If you're going to have 10-minute drives that are 17 plays long, you got to be able to score. Because, yeah, you're keeping the opposing team's offense off the field, but at the same time, when you're taking so much time off the clock, when you have a team that has an offense that's capable of being able to score at any time, just like that, you got to be able to put seven on the board. You can't have these long drives and just come away with three points because then you don't give yourself a lot of time late in the game. The Baltimore Ravens, I feel like if Lamar played, they probably win this game. A healthy Lamar wins this game. Now, I don't know if a 60%, 70% Lamar wins this game for the Ravens. I think Tyler Huntley played really well. The late game decision-making, the coaching decisions, you can all criticize that, scrutinize that all you want to. But at the end of the day, the players got to execute. I don't really think that the decision to call a quarterback sneak with Tyler Huntley was the worst thing that we have seen all in the playoffs. As a matter of fact, I saw a way worse play call when Kevin O'Connell on third and one called a screen pass to Kirk Cousins. That was way worse than the quarterback sneak on third and goal from the Baltimore Ravens. And I want you guys to really think about it. Think about it. If the Ravens don't fumble the football in that situation. And Tyler Huntley does get stopped and he doesn't score, right? They still have another opportunity. It's fourth and goal. So it's like, I really don't understand why so many people are making that play call out to be so bad. Like it was so terrible. The Cincinnati Bengals won this game. The Bengals, they're still my pick to make it out of the AFC despite the injuries that they have on the offensive line. I mean, they've been here before. They've done it last year. I believe they can do it again. You look at the Buffalo Bills. 
their reckless football team, Josh Allen, I don't think I trust them to take care of the ball in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I think he's way too reckless. He could have a turnover similar to the one that Tyler Huntley did because he also has struggled taking care of the football in the red zone as well. So I like Cincinnati to still make it out of the AFC, man. Like this defense with their defensive coordinator, they still are able to make big plays and big stops and big moments. This defense is playing some really good football just like they did in their playoff run last year Joe Burrow although you do have concerns about how the offensive line is going to hold up I think that you can trust Joe Burrow with how he's played in the fourth quarter of games this year if the game is on the line and you put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands regardless of the offensive line situation he's going to find a way to get it done with Jamar Chase T Higgins Joe Mixon Tyler Boyd Hayden Hurst like, there's too many weapons for this Bengals offense to just get completely held back by, you know, not having a great offensive line. They've been here before. They know how to win with having a not-so-great offensive line. I still think they can get back to the Super Bowl despite the offensive line play not being the greatest. Yeah, I wonder how they may hold up against the Bills or the Chiefs, but at the same time, the Bengals don't beat themselves. And that's why I'm so confident and the Bengals' ability to make it out of the AFC still. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, yeah, they're ultra-talented. They're way more talented than Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow's no slouch. This guy has good IQ, always understands the situation, knows where he's at at every point of the play. And the dude is just super tough. The dude is super resilient. He broke out of a couple of sacks in this game against the Baltimore Ravens that made me think, oh, okay, I didn't know Joe Burrow had this kind of athleticism in him. So I'm not too worried about the Bengals having the injuries that they have on the offensive line. It's not like the offensive line played all that great during the season anyway. Even when Lyle Collins was in the lineup, the offensive line was still giving up two, three sacks a game. So, I mean, I think the Bengals are still going to be fine yeah, it is a concern, but I still believe that they're going to make it out of the AFC. And, you know, the last thing I want to talk about is Lamar Jackson, while we're still on the topic of the Baltimore Ravens. I've been seeing a lot of Ravens fans over the last couple of weeks saying that Lamar Jackson has quit on the Ravens, his teammates, and his franchise. I disagree with that. People are trying to make this about the contract situation when I really don't think this is about the contract situation. I think that people are trying to use the contract situation to push a narrative about Lamar Jackson that is not true. If you know Lamar Jackson and you've watched Lamar Jackson, his interviews, his post-game pressers, you know that this guy is ultra-competitive. If he has the opportunity to be out there with his teammates, he's going to take it. Lamar Jackson isn't the kind of player the miss games due to a contract dispute. He didn't have to play this season. He could have just said, F it. Y'all don't want to pay me. I'm not going to play. I'm just going to sit out until we strike a deal. As a matter of fact, a lot of people aren't mentioning this, but Lamar Jackson actually gave the Ravens a deadline 
for a new extension so it wouldn't be a distraction during the season. Like, are people not remembering this? Eric DaCosta, their general manager, literally released a statement when they didn't come to terms with a new deal at the deadline that Lamar gave them. He said, despite our best efforts on both sides, we were unable to reach a contract extension with Lamar Jackson. We greatly appreciate how he has handled this process, and we are excited about our team with Lamar leading the way. We will continue to work towards a long-term contract after the season, but for now, we are looking forward to having a successful 2022 campaign. Statement from General Manager Eric DaCosta, and yet... People are still trying to make this about Lamar Jackson's contract. I don't really think it's about the contract. I really just think Lamar Jackson wasn't able to play. A lot of people on Twitter act like they know so much about PCL sprains and injuries. Everybody's a doctor when it comes to player injuries. But for some reason, though, Marlon Humphrey, after the loss of the Bengals, said that, he saw Lamar Jackson walking around the facility hobbled. He was 60%. So if Marlon Humphreys is saying that Lamar Jackson is hobbled, he's 60%, he wouldn't have been good enough to play, I think I'll take his word over, you know, people in the media and whatever people are saying when it comes to Lamar Jackson. I think that the Ravens are low-key trying to use the media creative narrative that's being pushed about Lamar and trying to use that as negotiations to lower his asking price. And for those of you guys who don't know how the business side of the NFL works, this is how it goes. This is how it goes when you're using, you know, when you're trying to negotiate contracts. You try to find ways to sign somebody to the deal that most favors you. That's what people don't understand about the situation. Everybody wants Lamar Jackson to risk his health and risk his career and his livelihood for the Baltimore Ravens, and yet the Baltimore Ravens don't want to pay the man. You get what I'm saying? But yet we want to say Lamar Jackson quit on the Ravens, though. Did Lamar Jackson really quit on the Ravens? Or do the Ravens not believe in Lamar Jackson? If the Ravens don't believe that Lamar Jackson is worth his asking price, then they should trade him. You see, at the end of the day, you know, people treat you how they feel about you. If the Ravens felt like Lamar Jackson was the guy, I felt like he would already have a contract extension already. If the whole problem is about, you know, is Lamar Jackson worth all that money when, you know, you have the injury concerns? Listen, man, all of Lamar Jackson's injuries, most of them have, incur have occurred inside of the pocket. So even then, injury concerns or not, Lamar Jackson still should be getting paid. If the Ravens won't pay Lamar Jackson what he wants, somebody else will. And before you use the whole salary cap or whatever nonsense you want to use, I promise you there's a team right now that doesn't have the salary cap to afford the Lamar Jackson extension. But I promise you if he was available today, right now, at this moment, they will find a way to make that cap space available to give Lamar Jackson a new deal if the Ravens were to put him on the trade block. So for the Baltimore Ravens, you know, this is a really bad look for them. 
You know, you fans can say all you want to, but these players, at the end of the day, they see what's really happening. And these players, they're not holding back. You heard J.K. Dobbins said after the game. You heard J.K. Dobbins when he said Lamar Jackson would have played, would have won. That's true. And Coach Harbaugh, he probably feels the same way. At the end of the day, though, I think that this contract situation with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens is causing a split in the Ravens franchise between the coaches and the players. Listen to how Coach Harbaugh talks about this Lamar situation versus how the players talk about it. The players kind of back up Lamar. They say Lamar, he wasn't able to go in this game. Marlon Humphrey said he was hobbled. He was 60%. Meanwhile, you listen to Coach Harbaugh, he doesn't say, oh, Lamar Jackson just wasn't able to play. He just said, Lamar Jackson, he wasn't, he's not with us. Roll with Tyler Huntley. He's kind of a little bit dismissive about it. He doesn't really, it doesn't really sound like he's trying to, you know, protect Lamar. He doesn't have to protect Lamar, but he could really just, you know, end all of this speculation and just say Lamar Jackson didn't make the trip because he was unable to play. I don't really understand why Harbaugh doesn't come out and just put all these rumors and speculations in the bud. Because honestly, Lamar Jackson, if he can't play and his PCL injury is as bad as what he described on Twitter, then there's no way that Lamar Jackson or that version of Lamar Jackson would have been good enough to give the Ravens the win against the Bengals. And yeah, the players may feel like Lamar Jackson, if he would have played, could have won. But I mean, what version of Lamar Jackson were you going to get? Was a 60% hobbled version of Lamar really good enough to beat Cincinnati? I don't think so. I think 100% fully healthy Lamar or even a 90 or 80% Lamar could have beaten the Bengals in this game. But to say Lamar quit, I just think is, you know, a little bit harsh. I don't think you can say a guy quit when obviously there's a team that looks like they don't want to pay the guy what he's worth. You see, let's be honest, bro. If Lamar Jackson didn't play this year, everybody would be calling him a quitter. But Lamar Jackson plays. He gets hurt. Says he can't come back. Says he doesn't feel well enough to play. And yet, we want to push a narrative that, oh, he doesn't want to play because of the contract. Like, bro, nobody gives a damn if you had a PCL injury. I had somebody on Twitter arguing with me talking about something, bro. I had a PCL injury. I went through this. Okay, bro. Just because you had the same injury doesn't mean you're going through the same pain. Everybody recovers from injuries different. You're not Lamar. You're not in Lamar's head. You don't know how Lamar Jackson feels. So I kind of hate the fact that people are trying to call Lamar Jackson a quitter. When if Lamar Jackson really was a quitter, it would have been shown because he probably wouldn't have played this season. Lamar Jackson literally came out and said that I'm giving a deadline for my contract extension because I don't want it to become a distraction. And yet people are still using it as it's the reason for why Lamar Jackson isn't on the field when he already cleared it up months before the season started, and yet people are still using this. People are still using this. I'm pretty sure if Lamar Jackson could have played, he would have played. If Lamar Jackson wanted to be out there and he could have suited up and played, 
He would have. It's the damn playoffs. Why wouldn't he play? You got to remember, Lamar Jackson has every reason to play. Okay, even if the Ravens do owe him a new contract extension, he's still out there trying to prove it. This would have been another opportunity for Lamar Jackson to prove why the Ravens should pay him what he wants. So you really think Lamar Jackson just doesn't want to play because of the contract negotiations, bro? If anything, these contract negotiations are more reason for Lamar Jackson to play. He's trying to prove to the Ravens and everybody else that, hey, I'm worth all the money that I'm asking for. Lamar Jackson not playing doesn't help him in contract negotiations, at least with the Baltimore Ravens. It helps him become healthier eventually for when a team that, if a team wants to trade for Lamar Jackson, if the Ravens can't come to terms with a long-term deal with them, then it helps his value out that way because then he'll be more healthier and you'll have less concerns but for Lamar Jackson for those of you guys saying Lamar Jackson isn't playing because of the injury bruh he has every reason to play he doesn't really have too many reasons why he shouldn't play yeah you can say well JT's pretending himself but I'm pretty sure Lamar Jackson wants every single penny that he's asking for so therefore when you bet on yourself You got to go out there and prove it. You got to go out there and get it done. So Lamar Jackson, if he was able to play in this game, I'm pretty sure he would have played. There's no reason for him not to. If he had a good game and the Ravens would have won this matchup, it would have been more ammunition for Lamar Jackson when it came to his contract negotiations because then after the season, he can come to the table. He can say, man, look, I have such and such record as a starter have the best win-loss record of any quarterback or one of the best win-loss records of any quarterback in the league since I became the starter. I've won two playoff games now. I mean, dang, man, pay me. You get what I'm saying? But now without this, if you're the Ravens, now you have a little bit more leverage. You see how this works? It's all about leveraging. Lamar Jackson, if he could have played in this game, I promise you he probably would have played. Lamar Jackson took a gamble on himself. He wanted to prove himself this year. Lamar Jackson could have easily taken whatever deal the Ravens gave him, but nah, he said, nah, that ain't good enough. He betted on himself. And ultimately, it failed, unfortunately, because he, once again, is injured, just like how he was last year. And now people are having these long-term health concerns about if you pay Lamar, can you trust him to stay healthy? So I don't really think that Lamar Jackson quit on the Ravens. I don't think him not playing in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals was due to contract negotiations. I just honestly believe that Lamar Jackson wasn't healthy enough to suit up for this game. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Share the pod with your friends, family members, and acquaintances. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel, and I will see you guys shortly with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.